This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. Yeah, IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com forward slash B. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBlocks. Win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Yeah, make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash BE. On today's show, the guys talk about the end of 2017 and all the exciting ed tech happening of the past 12 months. They also take a look forward with their predictions for the coming year. Exciting news from the East Initiative update and more. That's up next on EduTech Guys. EduTech Guys Radio. Radio.edutechguys.com. The opinions expressed on the site this program for those who participants are not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any specific educational entity, sponsor, company, state, or government agency. Hello and welcome to EduTech Guys Radio. How's it going? This is post-Christmas. I'm David Henderson. Hey, and I'm Jeff Madlock. Welcome and, to the show. And yeah. I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, and I hope you're going to have a new, happy new year. Uh, still a few days away here for us. Uh, David and I thought we'd do a quick wrap-up show. We're both on vacation, so this is happening over Zoom. So if you hear a little canned air... <laughs> <laughs> that's right, <laughs> and that's just our, it, that's the lovely internet connection. David lives uh, in a in a treehouse in the backwoods, so he's waved off the grid. He's running a solar panels and that kind of stuff. It is it's, <laughs> that is so not far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it this way: you'll find me way before you'll find David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, be no, sure I'm to. Not, I'm, I'm not off the grid, but I'm sure slightly to the left. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> slightly to the left of the grid. Hey, be sure to uh, check out the EduTech guys, guys on the web at www.edutechguys.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, all the social media. Heck, just go out to Google, type in EduTech Guys, and you're going to find us. By gosh, by golly, you'll find us for sure. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you can tell hey, us listen, you know, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, and we love making the show. We love visiting with educators, hearing their stories at events all across the nation. And you can help us continue spreading the love by sponsoring either the show, the conferences, appearances, the, the conference appearances, or both. I'll get it out eventually. <laughs> Visit theedutechguys.com slash sponsors to find out how you can help keep the EduTech Guys train rolling and get your name or company in markets that you may not currently occupy. Yeah, check it out. We've got some great yeah. prices there, great stuff. You can help us keep our, our show on the air and live coming to you from conferences around the nation. Exactly. Hey, and if you uh, take a look at that stuff and something seems a little off or, you know, you, you want to you know, work out some other kind of a, a deal, well, we can, you know, reach out to us. We're, we're flexible. Yeah, call us well, for the pricing, spe- the, the, special the, the price. pricing and packages. Yeah, that's right. Special pricing and packages are flexible. I'm, I'm not flexible at all. <laughs> I'm not flexible either. <laughs> 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 Hold on, I've been trying to reach. I've been, tra- I've been trying to reach down and pick up a pencil for the last twenty minutes. So <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. Over Christmas break, my daughter's over there doing backflips and somersaults and cartwheels, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna roll down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only time I've done backflips, somersaults, and cartwheels was in a car wreck for the car rolling down a mountain. 
Uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, that would be the only way. I shouldn't say that happened to me or anything. <laughs> so, David, I thought we'd do a quick oh show God. today, uh, Wednesday, December the 27th. Uh, just oh, yeah. a year-end wrap-up. Uh, we're not going to stay on the air long, just enough to let you know that we are still breathing. And we did have a <laughs> – we'll make it into the new year. But to take a look back um, at this last year and maybe look at a few predictions for the next year or what we see yeah. happening in EdSec. Um, yeah, I think it'll be cool. You know, right off the bat, one of the big deals that has been a big deal in ed, in ed tech for some time is social media and its role in education. And I think oh, yeah. this year was a banner year for that. I think everything's kind of settled in and solidified and is working itself out pretty well. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. A few years ago when, well, uh, we're stepping you know, almost 10 years ago now, if you're talking Facebook, um, you know, when social media first started making inroads into education, it was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of roadblocks and a lot of people asking questions, you know, well, what are they going to do with this? What are they going to do with that? How do we block it? I mean, that was the number one question back in the day. And it's really nice to see that over time that has evolved into how do we use this? How do we use it for um, teachers communicating with their students? How do we use this for out, you know, reaching out to um, parents and community members? How do we tell our story out to the world using social media. And so you see a lot of, a lot of schools, a lot of uh, education-based uh, organizations and entities really embracing social media and, and starting to have fun with it. You know, it went from this big, bad, scary beast to now it's almost like, you know, um, it's almost like a, a playmate, you know, you're, you're, you're hanging out and you're, you know, people are making goofy Instagrams and, you know, you see these um, principals and these superintendents who are making these hilarious, whether it's Christmas videos or just, you know, parent teacher videos or whatever it is. And, and they're really, you know, getting the word out and showcasing the, well, really the, the crazy talent that's out there. Uh, in the district. And then you have, you know, I mean, there's a whole slew of teachers who have really made second careers out of building their social media platforms and their followings. And I mean, you know, it's amazing. You look at, you know, folks like Dr. Burns and uh, Dave Burgess, he's the teach like a pirate guy. And, uh, you know, we've seen several principals who have uh, come, you know, through social media. And then, you know, we have folks like that are good friends, you know, uh, Ginger Lumen and Kevin Honeycutt, and, you know, not trying to name drop here, but the, the issue, the, the, the crux of the conversation is you have this whole slew of people who are taking social media, embracing it, using it heavily, using it more productively and helping spread their story, spread their message through social media. I mean, heck, that's what we've done the last yeah, you know, I mean, over the last year. Well, and you know, we've uh, our social media. We've we've actually pulled back a lot over the last four to five months, and uh, we've noticed it. We've noticed uh, what yeah. it's done to our brand. Um, luckily, our brand is still solid enough that we've we've pushed through and and worked fine with it. But you're right. I think that the understanding of how to use it, how it's very applicable to everything in education has even allowed teachers, they're even more comfortable to allow their students to use it in class and use it in their curriculum to help, you know, excite students and get them engaged. And I think that's the kicker that uh, with social media and education, it's all about engagement. A uh, good friend of mine, as you've seen, uh, one of the the Facebook uh, guys, big guys that come out and said the social media is terrible and Facebook's terrible. And, you know, they're all kind of turning on social media that it's ruined everything. Well, you know, too much cake is terrible and too much chicken is terrible and, you know, too much gaming is terrible and too much lounging is terrible. You know, everything is terrible in, its, in, in the sense of what, how you're using it. Um, sure. I think it's interesting the way that you and I use social media. Uh, we use it for two main purposes, to keep in touch with our friends and family on basic things about our family, you know, some pictures and things like that. And then we use it heavily for our brand, for EduTech guys to get our word out and spread our, our message. That's pretty much right. the way that we use it. Uh, our YouTube channel, so your YouTube channel, that's what we, we use it for, spreading our message. So I don't think we, you know, and, and I think teachers are realizing that too. And I think that it, the, the more you push kids into that, then they're going to understand, oh, there is a good way to use this and a bad way to use this. Right. And if they're using it for the good way, they're just going to continue using it for the good way. 
Yeah. I agree. Well, I, yeah, I think it definitely goes back to exactly what you said. I mean, you know, anything that you you have to use anything that's available to you in moderation. You know, if you go too cuckoo for cocoa puffs over any of it, then yeah, it's going to get out of control. It's not going to be used appropriately, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you hit the nail on the head. You know, yeah, anything could be bad if you don't watch what you're doing with it. So that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's interesting. And and one of the next topics I thought about this last year, this last year is less is more. And and in that yeah. I mean that the way that we're using the cloud, um, specifically for a large majority of education, is Google. Um, mm-hmm. Not to leave out Microsoft and Apple, they have their own versions and they're doing their thing with iCloud and and devices, but. I would say Chromebook is now controlling the vast majority market of education. And it's, 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 it's a really, one-stop shop. <laughs> well, and it's really been amazing to watch the complete um, transformation, I guess, is a, is a word. Adoption is a great word, of course, um, from uh, – where we were with iPads, you know, iPads were ubiquitous. I mean, seriously, they were, you know, every classroom, we had to have carts and carts of iPads and throw these out and, and students are doing awesome things and they still are doing awesome things with iPads. So I, we're, we're agnostic. We don't care what the device is as long as the students are, are using that technology for the betterment of their education, no matter how you cut it. Um, right. But <clears throat> when you have the, the, inroads of Chromebook. I mean, you know, Chromebook basically went from, you know, the initial, if you look at the very early, early models of, of Chromebooks and, you know, they were pretty much treated like toys. They were, you know, not really accepted. It was kind of like, what are you going to do with these? But, you know, between, you know, between Google's advancing their own technology and educators pushing for the use of that, I mean, Chromebooks have really taken over at a fraction of the cost of the other devices that, you know, kind of were the go-to thing. And now it's like, you know, what can't I do on a Chromebook? Sure, there are some things you still can't do on a Chromebook, but that number of things is, is dwindling quickly. Oh, tremendously. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I remember saying, oh, it's just a Chrome browser on a laptop. But, you know, come on, whoops. I mean, how much of my day do I spend in Google, you know, whether it's Google Docs or Sheets or on the web or on a web-based device, I stay on Chrome all day long. So, I mean, that's what I'm using. So, I, you're right. Uh, that, to me, that is the cost-effective uh, really big push this year, and I think we'll only see it. And I want to say last year on our wrap-up show, I think we pretty much said the same thing, like, okay, Google's really taking over. Chromebooks are getting, you know, pretty popular. And it's even growing now. I mean, if I, I can think of how many people I know that that's all they carry is a Chromebook at this point, and that's all they yeah. need. Uh, you know. Well, and then by extension is not just Chromebook, but you know that kind of it, it spills over into something you had mentioned before the, about the cloud in general. How many services are education uh, entities using it now that are cloud-based that were at one point server-based or at least locally installed, and now it's they're cloud-based, and I, and I mean. Anything and everything. You're talking from whether it's the time clock that the employees are punching in and out, you know, signing in and out. It's not only electronic, which, you know, that's been the case, but it's no longer server-based on your site. You know, it's being hosted by a third party. Two things that we're familiar with, like you had mentioned, you know, Google Docs and and Google Mail and Sheets and, you know, a lot of things are moving to the cloud. I mean, heck, we're even doing, you know, it's even possible to do podcasting and video recording and all that stuff in the cloud. You don't, you no longer have to have these massive server farms locally Mm -hmm. for a lot of the things you do in education. Yeah. So I, that's, to me, that's another big one. Um, That one, I I thought we'd throw it in there because it's, it's, this year has been a really big boom uh, across the educational providing and making the student engagement easier and more affordable and more available is definitely why. Um, this is one I just threw in there and I, and I threw it in there because it, it's still going on and that's maker spaces. Um, you know, I, I know I titled this first subtopic is what, when, why, and where, um, maker spaces are still viable. I still feel like there's just, even this year, 
people are, are kind of reaching to find reasons to use it. And those that use yeah. it well know exactly how to use it. And they've, in, they've adapted it and, and, and injected their curriculum with it, and it works perfectly well. But I think for a lot of people, they find a hard time of, now, how would I use a 3D printer? And, you know, that, that's really interesting because 3D printing has become, I hate to use the word, but commonplace. I mean, pretty much. It's like, you know, who doesn't have yeah. a 3D printer at this point? But, you know, I think it's interesting. When inkjet printers came along, Every household had to have an inkjet printer, and it became a it became a big deal. Most households still have an inkjet printer um, because you know they right. print on occasion. But how many households right now have a three D printer? Uh, not very many. Not yeah. Uh-uh. Not, not as comparable to how many Chromebooks were sold to homes this year for Christmas. Well, right. Probably a large amount. You know how many people still buy printers? Quite a bit. There's still a huge ink ink aisle at Walmart specifically for ink. You know, and yes. printers. So, I mean, yes. I'm not knocking 3D printing by any means. I I can think of a hundred applications off the top of my head to use it every day, but you know, we've got to find a better way to inject that into the curriculum and, uh, you know, make it more viable for why a student would would use that. Now, in the engineering market and arts and creativity and the areas like that, you know, especially pro- production environments, I can see that. But we're, we, we don't test on that. <laughs> well, I mean, right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> most public education places aren't going to spend a lot of money on something they're not testing on at this point. So, uh, well, and that's, you know, that, and that's, that's a very interesting point in that the spaces where 3D printers are the most prolific are the spaces that are not testing, that, that are not testable or not being tested. Yeah. So that's, a, it, that's a very interesting point. Well, and that brings yeah. you to the last thing, the onslaught of, of computer science, you know, see hashtag CS coding. Um, yeah. I, I have to give David his props here. Great tweet out from our account not long ago. Uh, and I, I, it was taken as a, it, it was written snarky, but it was actually taken uh, by some of the people that it went to as being yay for us. Uh, it, it, I thought that I found that quite funny. But, you know, uh, once the net neutrality thing, you know, hit the airwaves after the big vote, um, David had a good point and, and mentioned that, hey, great, we're going to start training kids. I'm glad we're doing coding now because now the kids will be able to code and hack, hack all the problems with, net, <laughs> with the net being blocked. And I thought that was great. But, you know, there it is. There's another one, um, computer science. We're not testing on it. So, well, uh, you know, and, and here's the thing, at least from my perspective, um, at some point we probably will, there probably will be a set of, a set of national standards and then we'll have to test on it. And frankly, that'll be the death of it. I mean, I, you know, I'm sorry, but the, the, the best, the absolute best way to kill the interest in any particular subject or topic is to make it required and test it. How many students used to love reading? And then AR came along. And I'm not knocking AR, okay? I'm not. I I can understand its benefits. I see the benefits to a certain extent. But how many students grew to hate reading because now it became A, required, and B, uh, now it's got points associated with it. And, you know, okay, yeah, so sure, you you might sort of get into the gaming thing with it, you know, eh. Kind of hard to say. And, and just so you know, David's talking about more. accelerator reader when he oh, talks. Sorry, about sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking uh, about not augmented, augmented reality. reality. <laughs> yeah, good, good point. That's a good catch. Good catch. Um, but to, yeah, I was talking about accelerated reader, and I and I realized long before accelerated reader, because I know there's people out there going, "Oh, dude, reading's been required, you know, in school, you know, since day one," and that's true. And how much how much of that? Just let's go back to just regular required reading text. How much of that has absolutely squashed um, the desire to read in certain people? I mean, I'll tell you straight up. I, I, I at one point was an avid reader, um, and then uh, I I went into my my late bachelor's and definitely my master's area studying literature and, and writing and reading and, and what have you. And frankly, I got so burned out on it. I, I don't even know the last time I actually read a book. Now I will listen to books all day long. You know, I audio books, as far as I'm concerned, awesome. I can do that while I'm driving all that kind of stuff. But you know, if I'm, if I'm sitting around hanging around the house, 
I'm not one to pick up a book anymore. It just doesn't necessarily interest me. And I truly believe that goes to all the required reading. It just made me sick of reading. So I wonder how many other folks now, and I, and I realize there's a complete counter argument to that in that by getting students to read and forcing them to delve deeper and look into the meaning and that kind of thing that that actually sparks reading interest in folks. So I don't know, I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be interested in seeing some kind of a study. You well, know, you know, shows either way, you know, I love like, you talking about that because that's been on my brain a lot. I was telling you, I've read, I've read several books in the last right, right. break, but here's what's interesting about all that is that the need for the mass populace to read Mm-hmm. It's not even two centuries old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the need for the mass populace to read is an American thing hmm. that drifted over into other societies as that became the mass media of choice. Now, sure. because, you know, not everyone had a phonograph and not everyone right. could sit outside in, in the, in the, in, it's a warm summer's eve and, Rome and <laughs> listen to someone tell these stories, right. listening to it and, and think that's how the majority of this was handed down forever. Yes. Now they came along and they, they wrote it and they hid it inside uh, a cave of the dead sea, but <laughs> because you know, we don't want that stuff getting out, but <laughs> <laughs> let them find it a thousand years from now. We don't need them finding it right now. Oh, geez. Yeah, but, but you know, I mean, think about it. You're exactly right. The need to read, and I'll say this right now, the need to read is, is devolving because like you said, what are we doing right now? We're sharing information via audio, video. Right. I mean, and is it, is it available for everyone? Much more so than books, much more so than right. books. I mean, I can, I can find any book online to listen to someone read it for free without yeah. having to pay $20 for a, paper, a paperback coffee, copy, sorry, thing in coffee, because then I've got, well, I'm there, I'm going to buy a coffee, and then I'm going to buy some yeah. knickknacks and a pencil, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, see, I, I think that we're seeing the de-evolution of reading, and, and not that it's going to disappear, because it can't disappear. We need it. I mean, that is the hard copy of our history. But is it the hard copy of our history? I mean, Well, think about that, though. You know, t- turning this back to computer science and coding, I mean, someone's got to be able to read in order to code. Now, granted, it's not, you're not necessarily reading, you know, prose text. You know, it, a lot of times when we think reading and literacy, that's exactly what we think. Poetry and and, and stories and, and uh, history books. I wrote a but, site you know, in Python, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. <laughs> there are people that do that. They um, are going to have to, and, and in fact, a lot of schools have started the way they approach coding, you know, teaching programming languages is they teach it as a language. It, it, they teach it, you know, you can, here are the different languages we offer, Spanish, French, German, Python, C++, I mean, yeah. or C++, or whatever, whatever the current, you know, code du jour is. So code. they are teaching it just like it were any other language. Yeah. And so I, I think, I, I think the, 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 the need for reading is definitely changing or the, or what's required reading is changing. It's really weird. I, I okay. So bear with me on this bizarro track that I'm about to go down. Um, visual, visible reading. I think, I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you in that I think that is is changing. I don't know if it's devolving, evolving, whatever it is. Um, and but at the same time, there is a greater need for the literacy part of you know the comprehension, the understanding of all of the information we're taking in, regardless of how we take it in, whether it's an audio podcast, whether it's a video we're watching, whether it is something that we're actually tangibly holding in our hand and reading, um, it's, it's not necessarily the written word that the people, that, that people have to um, know and understand. It's the comprehension of what the 
what the subject matter is, the comprehension of what's going on, the comprehension of the coding that's on the page, the comprehension of whatever that text was about. Like you said, a lot of texts that are required, or not even the required, just heck, a lot of books in general, you can go online, you can find the audio version, and I can listen to it all day long, and I can walk away with the same understanding that someone who just sits down and reads it for you know however long it takes to read that right. same book. You know, so, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's very interesting. That's great. That kind of leads us into uh, that'll take us out of this past year. Let's talk about the 2018 predictions. And I, I, I jotted down a couple of topics that I think are very important. And along this same line of the involvement of competency, of, of learning, of understanding, of taking in this becomes digital skills. And sure. And, you, you know, you talk about we listen to stuff online and we comprehend it as well as someone who reads it. You know, that's kind of a digital skill. I mean, we, we're moving away from if I wanted to read Danny, if I wanted to know about Danny and the Dinosaur in 1978, I had to read it. Or by the off chance I had a 45 record or a 78 long play that had it on there, I might be able to listen to it and follow along in the book. But now we've come to the point where the digital skills that are involved of living in this world is comprehending and understanding a large topic in 140 characters, I guess now 280 or less. I mean, but, but that's it. Uh, That's what's so hard about some of our, uh, the older generation is how did you get that from 140 characters? What is this? What's the pound sign have to do with anything? Right, right. There's a lot of digital skills out there that are going to be needed to, to live in the world. Um, and by digital skills, that's the understanding of several different types of input devices. And it's not just a mouse and a keyboard anymore. You know, you've got different kinds of screens. You've got emojis. I mean, it's funny. I think if our generation, you're in my generation, had to take a test on emojis, I'd fail. I don't know what they all mean. Yeah. <laughs> the kids I have know. no idea. I mean, yeah. I, you yeah. know. There's like seven smiley faces. They're all smiley faces to me. I don't know what they mean. Oh, this smiley face means, and this smiley face means, you know, and I know that's kind of a simplification of digital skills, but that's what we're talking about. Sure. Digital, uh, where are we going to push in education to start talking about not just computer science? That, in my opinion, is a next level digital skill. That's like multiplication. Um, it's still a skill you need. Uh, but it's multiplication. I'm talking about the addition and subtraction, the basic reading of digital skills that we're making sure every child has. I think we've, we've overused the term digital natives or, you know, that we, we, we've said this, you know, and we think they're just born, they're just born with it. No, no, they're not born with it. They pick it up somewhere and they, just like anything else, uh, you know, the people that are older than me that still type with, with one finger, you know, (laughs) I mean, you can pick up that skill wrong which can right. hinder you in the future, especially as we talk about the 21st century. You know, I talk to a lot of older people than myself in the business world. And, well, let's take our time. In six months, we can do this. And in two years, we can do this. In two mm-hmm. years, you're a decade behind. Yeah. Because yeah. two years ago, when we started this show, we didn't have the technology we have now to do this show. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, or or definitely not the way we're doing it. Exactly. And, you know, we had to adapt and we had to learn new digital skills to get us to this point to where we're actually. And and we we both of us could agree we're still, you know, miles away from where we want to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I I believe digital skills is something that education is going to have to take on and start looking at how to integrate that into the curriculum and make sure that we can make sure these kids are carrying on the skills that they have. Yeah, that's my opinion. Now, the next yeah. one that falls in line with that is digital citizenship. You know, right. I believe that's a big one to me. Yeah, I think I think it's a huge one. To me, digital citizenship is is the same as I mean, you know, you, you could take the word digital out of there. Students have you know, everyone, we all we all we all have to understand what does it mean to be a citizen in whatever culture we're in, you know, and, and digitally speaking, yeah, you know, people have to be taught what are the, what are the rules? Uh, when are you allowed to break those rules? What does it mean to be a part of those rules? Um, what, what happens when you, when, what happens when you break those rules? What are the consequences or what should be the consequences? Or, you know, what does it mean to be, what's it mean to be a, a digital 
citizen? What does digital citizenship mean? And I think those, that's one of those things that has been slowly building and evolving and, and growing. And, and I love that you've put this down as a, 28, uh, as a 2018 prediction because I, I think you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think over the next year, I think that's going to become a huge conversation platform. Um, I mean, especially in light of all of the other things of, of life in general that has been going on around what we've seen digitally. I mean, look, me movement, right? And so what does it mean to be a digital citizen within the scope of not me or Black Lives Matter or whatever the the you know, whatever various platforms uh, you know are, are out there look right. at net neutrality and its um current limbo state you know what's it mean to be a digital citizen within the scope of either supporting or um defeating net neutrality depending on where you sit in things right. and that in itself is part of digital citizenship figure you sit on certain issues Right. Well, you know, and that's my daughter started saying, my youngest daughter started saying lately um, a lot about um, I, I feel like an ESL student. She said, you know, and it's not just English as a second language. It's Chinese as a second language or coding as a second language or, you know, whatever Pakistani is a second language or Arabic is a second language or whatever you want to look at. But that's all falling into this whole digital citizenship thing. And, and, and we've always talked about sharing and sharing too much. And, you know, what do you yeah. share and what do you put out there? That falls into that digital citizenship. We've got to start teaching these kids. Are like, you have this ability to record yourself taking a, a poo. So why would you record yourself taking a poo? You know? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I mean, now, it happens and people, whatever. But, you know, we've got to get to this point of, you know, what's, what's the market? What's the venue? Uh, how do I what? Because now you know, there's the thing as a musician uh, growing up, I had very few places to perform. I could perform sure. at church. I could perform, you know, in a in a music venue. I could perform on the street. I could perform by myself in my bedroom for myself and maybe at our house with a few friends. That's sure. changed. It's all changed. I can perform in my bedroom completely alone with a camera streaming to the World Wide Web, which is millions of people, and, right. and so. You know, but am I sharing too much? Because I think I'm alone in my room. You know, what's on the walls? And it's funny, I do that a lot. If I, tw- if I Instagram out a picture or something, I always make sure what's on my screen is either visible, not visible, or it's appropriate to be visible. Because, sure. you know, the digital citizenship movement is going to get even larger now. Uh, we talked to some great ladies last year. I think we'll probably talk to them again at Fetzy this year who have a wonderful book on that. And we'll talk about that when we see them. And yeah. uh, they're working on digital citizenship. But you know, I, the next thing I had in there was was uh, one of my predictions was was coding, but I don't want to talk about coding again. I, you know how I feel about the coding thing. I, I, I mean, it's it's kind of like you know, all of a sudden people went the Model T. Well, let's talk about building Ford Model Ts. It's like, been around forever. Why are you suddenly back on this when a whole you know giant huge group of people are going? Uh, you're just now getting to this, uh, dude. It's how I make my living. Well, and, and I, I just I just want to throw out my kind of two cents on that, and, and my you know my take is is this that I, I think it's it's very I don't know it's funny to me that that's become the the buzz right oh we got to teach all kids need to learn how to code because there's a shortage of coders okay well there's a shortage of brain surgeons so does that mean that all students now should be required to take uh, courses? that um, revolve around them understanding how brain surgery works. Now, understand, they're not all going to be brain surgeons. This is not for everybody. But they're going to have skills that are going to translate into something down the road because they've learned how to cut people's heads open and operate on their brains. Yeah. Really? Really? Well, I, I good, don't know. I need a good butcher, right? Yeah. That's a- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Tommy, give me some salami. I was going to be a brain surgeon, but it didn't work out. So now oh. I... Uh, you know, it, I was having a discussion with Tony Stelly, yeah? Forget about it. I was having a discussion with one of my friends um, yeah. earlier this week about this whole thing, and he's a he's a coder. I mean, that's what he that's how he makes his living. And he actually made the statement that you know that well is starting to dry up. You know those those companies are becoming like anything else. You know, when you and I were in school, it was you got to be a pharmacist. There were no pharmacists, and they're big money in being a pharmacist. Well, then. 
there's a lot of pharmacists and now pharmacists make what teachers make. So, you know, being a wealthy pharmacist is kind of falling apart now. We're not going to give you $150,000 to be a pharmacist. We're going to give you $40,000, count 12 pills, put them in a the bottle and shut up, move on down. Right. Right. I think that's what we're probably going to see with coding. I, I think that this, there's, there's, there's a shortage of coders is kind of mm, boo ha If these kids have plenty of time to climb rock walls and play ping pong, and, you know, take off seven days a week while my website goes down for four hours. <laughs> Just Fine. saying. Then, you know, there's not a shortage of coders. But so yeah. I put All this right. last one in here because, and we'll wrap this bad boy up, because um, everybody knows Prince Harry is getting married to the girl from the uh, from United States, and that's a big deal. Well, Prince Harry actually does a podcast for BBC4. It's a new one. And one of his one of his first guests uh, was Barack Obama, and one of their topics uh, they focused on their shared interest of building platforms for the next generation of young leaders. And and I really like that topic, but I like to take that as you know we talk about that all the time. We're training kids for jobs that don't exist yet. We, we we've been saying that for this last year. We've seen that momentum for several years. We've seen it you know building up and building up. But now it's, they're realizing that the majority of politicians and leaders in the world are old farts. They just are. Yeah. I mean, you know, you couldn't even find a lot of 40-something sitting in large leadership roles. We're talking mm-hmm. older people, the kind of people that don't get Twitter, that don't get, you know, <laughs> Snapchat or FaceChat or Facebook or FaceScroll or whatever. You know, they don't get any of that stuff. But they're making decisions on the next generation in the world based on information of people that we're talking about that watched Howdy Doody as kids. You know, right. we're, we're talking about a huge generational divide, especially since the 90s and into the new millennia, where time is, is on a fast track. And I think that's a great place to start talking and even thinking about, you know, Prince Harry. He's in his mid to late 30s. I mean, he's. He's getting into that age, too, that's, you know, we're not talking about the 20-somethings anymore. But, right. but I think that that's my prediction is we've got to see more schools. We have to see the platform of education looking to build platforms for the next generation of young leaders, young entrepreneurs, young artists, young educators. Because I think that's the, in education, the biggest deal to me is we have to find a new way. We have yeah. to find what's different. You know, mm-hmm. is it is it a handheld? You know, Mario Kart has had a resurgence this Christmas because of the new little handheld thing where you can slide the controllers off the screen. You know, Mario Kart's been around a long time. You and I've played Mario Kart. We love right. Mario Kart. Everybody, who doesn't love Mario Kart? You know, if you don't love Mario Kart, that's on un, that's unworldly. That's a what do you think? <laughs> but but they're they're they've created a new way to entice a whole new generation to enjoy that game, sure, and to play that game. And, 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 and it's all based on interoperability. It's all based on sharing and playing with friends around the world and not just in the same room connected by a cable to the same controller, you know, and not in the same room connected by a wand or a wireless device. We're now playing people, which a lot of us have been doing for decades, playing games, but now it's more interactive. It's literally super oh, sure. real time, super interactive, you know, boom, there it is. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's what's got to happen in education is we've got to build a platform that's going to, for the next generation of young learners and young educators so that they can yeah. go, oh, I can teach kids this way. Mm-hmm. I can teach kids from this handheld device standing in a field in Norway. I can teach kids to do this. And, yeah. and, but I think it's also falling into we've got to start about building. We forgot about building leaders. I think public education doesn't, and at least in in my opinion of where I am, we don't think about building the next governor or building a mayor. Oh no. Or building a a police chief or building a fire, a a fire chief or building someone who's going to run the downtown network, you know, of, of, of business owners or a chamber of commerce or something like that. I feel like we've, we've stopped building leaders. Yeah. Well, and I would, I would completely, and I do, I I completely agree with that in that, you know, education has become 
Well, I mean, education has always been about churning out factory workers. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is the factory, right? It was quite literally factory workers initially with, yes, okay, the kind of offshoot of let's get some folks who aren't going to be the factory workers, but we're going to push them into college, which in itself is another factory. Well, there's been a huge push lately to push all of those students into college now, there's been sort of a nod to uh, the, the, the other skills, the workforce, as they call it, which is the, the non-collegiate-oriented uh, students. Okay, well, not everybody's going to go to college. We get that. So you guys, you know, you guys can go be the factory workers. You know, it's almost a flip. You know, and now we're trying to churn out coders. We're trying to just, you know, we're always trying to churn out people who um, – Essentially, I don't know. It's it's a lot like now we go old school, but it's a lot like Pink Floyd. You know, we're just churning out bricks in the wall here, and 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 I think you're exactly right. You know, fortunately, there are pockets of education, and hopefully, this will continue to grow. Where there are students, you know, there are courses, there are uh, tracks, there are different things that the students can do that are geared toward those leadership roles. Mm-hmm. You know. You you want to be president one day? Okay, how are you going to do that? What, what does it take? What's it going to look like? Uh, you, okay, you don't want to be president. You want to be a senator. You want to be like you said. You want to be you know you want to be on your local chamber of commerce because you love your 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 hometown and and you want to make sure that it stays growing and and prosperous and or maybe your hometown is dying or already dead and you're trying to bring it back it's going to take leaders to do that well guess what we're going to give you the tools to show how that comes to be Uh, to me i think that the education has gotten to the point where we need to say um that if the phrase this is how we've always done it is in your vocabulary, then that is the starting point for whatever that is to change it. And sometimes, yes, for the sake of changing it. And I know that rubs people, it rubs a lot of people the <laughs> wrong way. Look, like, I can't believe we're going to change it just for the sake of changing it. Yeah, you know why? Because sometimes you have to force that change because this is the way we've always done it. That is not a reason to keep doing something. Whether it's working or not, and even if it is working, because that's the way you've always done it, change it anyway. Change it up, make it still work, but a different way, because ultimately, that's going to open up doors and windows and lights are going to come on that people go, oh, but wait, what if we do this or this and this? And, you know, and all of a sudden, there's this growth that's happening. Right. I, I don't know. I, I I believe that's it. You're you you're you're, you're right. I, that's to me. That is a huge platform for education and for the world. I mean, it's it's a huge. We, like I said, we always we've heard it once. We've heard it a thousand times. Hey, we're training kids for jobs that don't even exist yet. Okay, then let's start training kids for jobs that exist that we completely forgotten about that are going to be jobs for the 21st century that are going to completely change. You want to talk about digital skills and digital citizenship and coding and 3D printing and anything we want to talk about that all falls into those jobs of leadership of, you know, being a good leader means that you're, you're aware of everything that's going on, at least knowledgeable enough to hire the people and know what's going on. That makes a good leader. But so, yeah, I think that, uh, I think we've, uh, we, we, we went a little longer than we expected to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but we like to talk. <laughs> we do have, uh, which we're going to drop out right now and take a listen to, we do have an East update um, that we'd like to play for you. This is a great one of a local school in Arkansas that has become the, uh, that is uh, become a PBS digital innovator winner and uh, that will be on this East initiative update uh, coming out right now. We'll be right back after the East initiative update. Hello everyone, I'm Spencer Watson with the East Initiative. Welcome to the East Update. My principal called me and said, I have a job, I need you to come and teach. And she said, it's a class called East. And you had never heard of it. Never heard of East. Farrah McIntyre began this year as the facilitator at Star City High School after having led the middle school program for two years. As you just heard, she had no idea what to expect from this education concept called East. Times have changed. 
This past spring, McIntyre was named the 2017 Learning Media Digital Innovator for Arkansas. The timing was very auspicious. Uh, it was actually the night of our um, East Conference award ceremony. I got uh, the contact for it, and so it was very exciting for my students to know, you know, that it was them I was talking about, not myself, and that uh, it was all the things that they were doing in the classroom that I wanted to bring, you know, the spotlight to. Since receiving the honor, McIntyre has traveled to different conferences and summits representing classroom innovation in Arkansas. And to hear her tell it, doing so isn't hard with East behind her. People add me on social media all the time and ask me about the things that we're doing in my classroom and I get to tell them um, this was easy for me to be a digital innovator because of East. You know, all the things that they're looking for in a digital innovator is what East is doing. So I think for me it was very easy um, just to go in and say, this is not my idea or my model, this is what East is doing. What East is doing is teaching students to use technology, something that was daunting for McIntyre at first, but also helped her bond with her students. Um, I told the students that I'm learning with you. Um, I have never done GIS GPS. I have never worked with 3D printers. I, and so I think that helped them to feel like I was being legitimate with them and we kind of learned together. It's a path McIntyre never thought she'd take. Okay, um, I never thought I would become a teacher. I'm actually uh, 32, and so at my third year, I started at 29. As, as soon as I got out of um, high school, I went into college not knowing what I wanted to do, so I picked business, um, ended up getting married. My husband's a pastor, so we moved out of state, was kind of moving all over the place. Um, so I started working at a bank in bookkeeping. Um, then after I had my children, I decided I would stay home with them and um, we moved to a really small town in uh, Hector, which is close to Russellville. And I started driving the school bus there because that was the only job that they had. Um, that's what got me into the school system. From there, she taught keyboarding and business, drawing on real world experience, working in banking and bookkeeping. Now, she says, she helps change lives. In a regular keyboarding class, you know, I might say, you're gonna need keyboarding for every job. Or um, in a CBA class, I might say, well, you might use Microsoft Word if you're typing up a paper in college. But in East, they get to see, like, this might be something that you use in a real job and, you know, not just you know, typing, but you can take this and turn it into a future. It's not always easy for the students or the teacher, but McIntyre reminds her students that the education is in the challenge. I tell them it's like um, playing a video game at home. If you can't pass a level, you're not going to raise your hand and ask your mom, you know, how do you pass level five or whatever. You're going to keep failing um, until you, you figure out the secret passage and you pass that level and, and that's on your own and you just keep trying. So I, that passion comes through without me having to really push that. McIntyre said she saw that passion in a project her students did working with a local nursing home making what's called an elopement binder. It contains information about residents that can be shared among staff and with emergency personnel for residents who may accidentally leave the property and get lost. Um, probably the most emotionally um, connected project I've had is the uh, elopement risk binder that uh, my students completed last year. Um, we actually spent time going into um, parts of the nursing home that is secluded and, and those patients um, didn't remember us from one visit to the next but uh, my students would build relationships that they would remember and it, that helps some of them to know that you know I want to go into the medical field when I get older because I want to work with patients like this. It's one thing to teach a class, it's another to have a real community impact, especially for an educator who works in the very same small hometown in which she grew up. That's right, McIntyre is herself a Star City grad. It's, it's a very small community, so anything that we do brings pride um, to me because we are such a small town and everything you do makes the paper and everybody's proud and it's, um, she's a hometown girl and, and she's making a difference in our students' lives, and my principal calls me a warrior for our kids, so that's what I want to, to continue to uphold and, and say, just because you're in a small town doesn't mean you can't do big things.
If you're interested in knowing more about the EAST initiative, from information on student projects to the professional development services we offer to educators of all kinds, please visit www.eastinitiative.org or just search for EAST initiative on social media. If you are interested in finding out how to get an EAST classroom in a school near you, please contact eastinfo at eaststaff.org. That's E-A-S-T-I-N-F-O at E-A-S-T-S-T-A-F-F dot O-R-G. Special thanks to Farrah McIntyre, East Facilitator at Star City High School. The music you've been hearing is called Pulse by Brandon East of Tri-County Tech Center. Again, I'm Spencer Watson, and that's the East Update. Thank you very much to Spencer and uh, for bringing us the East Initiative update. And uh, we enjoy uh, hearing what's going on with the East program here in Arkansas and around uh, the uh, nation. And we've got really cool things happening in 2018. Talk about um, looking ahead. We are going to be in Orlando, Florida in January, January 23rd through the 26th at the FETSI conference. Looking forward to that one. Hey, and then we'll be in March. We'll be here in Arkansas at Hot Springs, um, Arkansas at the 2018 East Conference. That'll be a really special time. Man, that'll be cool. And then looking further ahead, uh, later this summer, July 31st through August 1st, we're going to be in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Flipgrid Live 2018 conference. So that is going to be really cool. Looking forward to that. That's it. I'm excited about that one. That's you know, Flipgrid is a real big, cool platform, and it's going to be fun to be there podcasting live from their, their stuff. So remember, if you'd like to sponsor us on any of this and get your name, your company out there and markets that you're not generally at, but you can definitely serve, please get in touch with us, Jeff at edutechguys.com or David at edutechguys.com, or just go to the web, edutechguys.com slash sponsor. And you can find out everything you need to know about us and our sponsorship availabilities. Don't forget to ask us if you have special uh, requests. We can make a special pricing and a special package just for you. Help us keep the word out there because, you know, if you can't tell your story, how are you going to help them tell theirs? Hey, David, it's been a great show. Awesome. Hope has everyone has had a very Merry Christmas. Looking forward to a very happy new year. And uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in and taking a listen to Edutech Guys Radio. The next time we'll talk to you will be 2018. Hey, I'm Jeff Madlock. Hey, I'm David Henderson. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Edutech Guys Radio, radio.edutechguys.com. The opinions expressed on this site is programmed for those of participants and not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any specific educational entity, sponsor, company, state, or government agency. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You, you can, can do, do it, it all, all. But don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.